The Run, Lift, Mom podcast is brought to you by my efforts as a Zaya Active Independent Representative and partners, Hello Woofy for social media, Red H Nutrition, and Audible. Audible is the newest of this lineup, and if you want to try Audible free, all you've got to do is visit audibletrial.com slash runliftmom. Welcome to the Run Lift Mom podcast, where we're talking about running, lifting, and momming, not necessarily in that order. Today, we're going to stay squarely in the momming category because I've got Kate O'Keefe, founder of Knits for NICUs. Kate is going to share her personal story about her son, Barrett, who was born at 23 weeks. Yeah, you heard me right. In premature world, there are micro preemies and then preemies. So as an example, the Goodwin triplets, 30 weekers, preemies. Micro preemies are defined as anything under 28 weeks. And there are a boatload of concerns and risks for these little ones. Kate is the mother to a miracle baby. You are going to hear about her pregnancy, about her delivery, about how scary it was to have a baby that was a little bit over a pound. You're going to hear about the NICU experience and how she is giving back to the NICU community through Knits for NICUs. Without further ado, the very inspiring Kate O'Keefe. All right. Welcome, Kate O'Keefe from Knits for NICUs. I'm so excited to be talking to you. The funny thing about this, Kate, is we're having this conversation uh, via distance. So you are on the computer right now, but we probably live, I don't know, as the crows fly five miles away from one another. So you're in Fayetteville, North Carolina, here at Fort Bragg as well. Welcome. Hi. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I'm so excited to have you here. Most listeners know that I myself am a NICU mom, and we have that special connection. Just so listeners know, Kate and I sat down and talked for, oh man, probably twice what we planned uh, at Starbucks a few weeks ago. And so this conversation is one I've been really, really eager to record. Kate is one of the most inspiring NICU moms that I know. And I know a lot, guys. So, Kate, do you mind, um, before we get into your NICU experience, do you mind opening up and just telling me a little bit about your personal background? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I come from a big family in Colorado, um, and uh, we actually moved here six years ago when my husband um, got you know, PCS, um, to, um, brag. So we were only to be here for three years. Um, so we had very short term, uh, vision. We were just going to be here for a short time. Um, he was going to do training and uh, we were going to head on back to Colorado. Um, but as you know, that's not exactly how it all happened. We are still here. Um, uh, I have uh, Lydia, who's six, and Barrett, who is three going on four, and a dog named Boomer. And you can hear Barrett in the background. I apologize. Um, he's he's and, a you graduate, right? He's a graduate, so, and he is alive and well. Um, so, yeah, so um, that's a little bit about us. I do work from home now. I do my knits for NICUs. I do my blankets, and I am just full-time helping Barrett now at home, so. 
Ah, now, of course, um, I'm smiling ear to ear, and I know what a miracle statement that is when you say, yeah, he's alive and well now. Do you mind walking us through um, a little bit about like what your pregnancy was like and what it was like when he came very early and very unexpectedly? Oh my gosh, Susie, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. And, you know, just like a little background, Lydia, my first, she was full term. In fact, she was a week late and she was a super easy pregnancy. So you can imagine my surprise when just 10 weeks in, um, I started bleeding um, a lot, um, you know, to the point where I was starting to pass blood clots. And this is just 10 weeks in, so I was pretty sure I was having a miscarriage. I mean, we were being very realistic and went to the ER, and they said, well, no, the baby's there, the baby's okay, but you have what we call a subchorionic hemorrhage, which is basically you're bleeding inside. Now, normally that clots, and it's not a big deal. So they just sent me home and said, you know, continue to do life the way you normally do, and, you know, if anything, if you continue to bleed too much, come back in. And, well, that's what I did for two months is I would bleed a lot and then I would go back in. And it took them a really long time to take me seriously, to be honest. It wasn't until the last time I went in, um, I had been bleeding for four weeks. And they said, wow, you're critically low on blood. We need to admit you and we need to get you a blood transfusion. So I, I want to make sure that the listeners are hearing this correctly because you mentioned that you had an older child, Lydia. So can you remind us how old is Lydia at this point? And are you just like terrified the whole time? Yeah, Lydia was two at this time and she's actually a pretty chill kid, but I was still on my feet a lot and I was selling real estate at the time, which is bonkers bananas. I mean, you're just all over the place. Um, and I'm pretty high energy to start with. So yeah, I'm, I'm busy. I'm on my feet. I'm doing life the way I normally do. And I'll just never forget the day where I just kind of went to the kitchen table to get my laptop and I started seeing stars and I thought, wow, this must be getting kind of serious. Wow. <laughs> so how far along were you in your pregnancy at this point where so it's like, yikes, you're low on blood? Yeah, that was at 15 weeks. And okay. so really at 15 weeks, um, there's just nothing anyone can do other than really focus on you because there's nothing you can do for the baby at this point. And so they give me blood and you wouldn't believe it, but it was like they would put it into my system and within 24 hours, it's like almost all of it was out. Wow. If I was bleeding that much. And so it was just kind of puzzling, I think, for the doctors. Now, and to clarify for folks who maybe haven't been in this position, um, when you say like there's nothing they can do for the baby, um, typically with that early term, so 15 weeks, at that point, guys, if baby comes, they're saving mom, correct? Yeah, 100%. And, you know, that's just a very interesting conversation to have. You know, it's just not what you expect to talk about. And so, right. you know, um, we weren't convinced that that was going to happen though. You know, we really weren't. We, we really thought, I always thought Barrett was going to be here. And that, and maybe that's just because when you're pregnant, you're just kind of, you know, not really thinking everything through, but I never for one minute thought that, you know, he was going to pass away or he was going to be born too early. You know, I think there are a lot of moms out there with that strong intuition that are like, 
Yeah, girl. Um, it's not an ignorance is bliss thing. And I want to mention early on that you are a woman of faith also. Um, and so I have to imagine, I want you to clarify, um, did your Christian faith help at this point? Oh my gosh. I mean, absolutely. It's everything about me depends on my faith. Um, and my mom is an incredible, uh, Christian woman and she's just really taught me everything. She dropped everything she was doing and she flew in from Colorado and she prayed over me and she was there by my side. And, um, I do believe that that really gave me the strength to continue, um, and to just, you know, kind of blindly walk one step at a time through that process. Awesome. So 15 weeks, you're in the hospital, they're taking care of you. What happens from here up until the point Barrett was born very early? He's a a micro preemie, meaning he was born at less than 28 weeks. That's right. Yeah. He was actually born at 22 weeks and six days, if you want to be specific. I do. Um, Which which we didn't want to be specific. (laughs) Because we... The actual story is, is we told Duke that we were at 23 weeks, which wasn't the truth because you can't get admitted until 23. Um, so they fudged the numbers for us and I'm glad they did. I mean, who knows otherwise, but to answer your question, um, I was in and out still of the hospital while I was bleeding because there were times when they said, well, you know, it was very hard on my husband to be by himself and working with Lydia. And so there were times when I just, you know, wanted to be back home, at least to be a presence for her. Um, and at, um, 18 weeks, that's my water broke. And that's when things got really complicated. Wow. And I mean, guys, it's not like Duke, they were just being incredibly cold hearted. They have these standards for a reason. Obviously they're set historically, but it's the, the sad, unfortunate thing is prior to that point, there's just not a lot that the neonatologist and the respiratory therapist can do for a child that young. So you were right, right on the edge there. Wow. Absolutely. So he was born. I tell you. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's really interesting when you say that, like I was in this gray zone, one of the memories my sister has from being with me is she'll never forget that the doctors would stand around me and Google. It's not that they were not you know, educated, but it was that they had never seen a subchorionic hemorrhage the size that I had. They had never seen a baby still with a heartbeat going through what Barrett has gone through. And when I lost all that, all my fluids, like literally everything, he still persevered. So I'm seeing doctors on their phones saying, well. Wow. What's more terrifying than being in that early of labor? It's seeing your doctors Google. Wow. Wow. So your case was very uncommon. And then tell us a little bit about when Barrett, you know, was born again, a micro preemie, very, very early guys. Tell us some of about some of the challenges that he went through. We now know he is a tough survivor, but what odds did he come up against? Well, I don't know the specific odds because I think I blocked those out, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so what happened um, was that morning they said, well, we'd like to helicopter you in, but 
we don't have a helicopter, so we're going to go ahead and take you um, in an ambulance to Duke. And they got me there in 40 minutes, which, by the way, is not easy to do. I don't know how they did that. But they got me there in For 40 minutes. that aren't familiar with North Carolina geography, it would typically take about an hour and a half <laughs> to yeah. get from from Fayetteville, North Carolina, where Fort Bragg is, to Durham, North Carolina. So, wow, they got you there very quickly. 40 minutes. I'll never forget that. So, yeah, so they get me in there, and they, you know, they check for the baby the minute I got to my room, and they said, well, Miss O'Keefe, he's crowning, so we're going to need to get you to OR. And I was like, well, obviously I knew that, but I hadn't been confirmed. Wow. So then. you thought you were going to L&D to maybe hang out or like hold off labor and instead you're delivering Barrett. Right then. Yeah. Wow. They rushed me on the hall and you know, of course no pain meds or anything like that. And, um, I delivered him naturally and they said, listen, if he tries to breathe, then we will do everything in our power to keep him, you know, but if he doesn't try to breathe, there's, if he doesn't have that fight, there's nothing we can do. Which is a hard thing to hear because you'd like to think no matter what, they're right. going to help. And again, it's not cold hearted. It's just science. Um, but Barrett tried to cry and they said, well, that's incredible. Not only did that, he try to breathe, he tried to give a cry. So to bring back that full, like that conversation full circle about the just when it's really, really early, guys, unfortunately, they have to have this hard line. But Barrett exceeded expectations. That's amazing. Yeah, it was really cool. So, um, and then after that, things went really fast. He was hooked up with an IV. He was hooked up with um, everything he needed to check his heart and his, his breathing. And he went through what they call a honeymoon phase where um, they put him up at the NICU and he didn't need oxygen. He didn't need, you know, um, to be a certain, I don't know, the temperature didn't need to be changed for him. He, his, all his vitals were working perfectly. And we thought, wow, we were so lucky. He's fine. And I, the nurses said, well, you know, he's doing great, but this is a phase. And they helped me brace myself because they said, you know, it's going to change in 48 hours. And they were right. In 48 hours, almost everything was failing. And he was completely on breathing support. And we discovered that he had a really bad infection, um, which later we found out was MRSA, which is not something that you want to go through when you're brand new and tiny. Right. Uh, and again, he was born one pound, four ounces. So... Wow. Thank you for mentioning that. Just to, so how bit, so one pound, four ounces. I mean, probably listeners are kind of thinking in their heads, well, what, what does that look like? Can you describe like based on the size of something else we might have a reference for how big he was? Yeah. Um, oh, well, just look at your hand. Um, Barrett was the size of my hand and I, I mean, I have a normal hand, but um, in his, uh, his foot was the size of my toenail. Um, so my, or my thumbnail rather. Um, but yeah, it was just, it's, it's inconceivable really until you see a baby that small in, in real life. It's very, very hard to understand. And, um, you know, especially knowing that they're putting in IVs, like, how are they doing this? How are they, you know, operating on such a small child and giving them antibiotics and feeding them? And that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's it- hard to 
neonatology is such a new space relative to where we are now in 2020. And so as a NICU mom, um, wow. I mean, our babies were 30 weekers. They weren't that early, but it's amazing what God can do through the hands of neonatologists and nurses and the respiratory therapists, these tiny, tiny babies. It's just phenomenal work. So how long, so you had the honeymoon period, Uh, blessedly the nurses were able to mentally prepare you. It's going to get tough. And then it did. So I'm assuming he's going through just um, kind of intervention and procedure after another. Yeah, it really was. They say it's a roller coaster, and it is. Um, but honestly, I don't think we didn't have a lot of those highs. We just had a lot of lows, which sounds really rough. But honestly, it kept us at a steady pace where we were just like, okay, here's what we're doing today. Here's what they're going to research today. Um, because really, it, what what it all boiled down to was he was just so early that his, his organs just had to catch up they had to develop and he had to have enough rest for that to happen, which meant we really couldn't visit him as much. You know, I didn't hold him for until I think 45 days in. And so, you know, we really didn't have a lot that we could do other than check in and pray Mm -hmm. and, and honestly let him rest. And so that was really hard. I think for everyone, especially people who came to visit. Yeah. Well, you can come and look, but that's really all you can do. And that's a space that we were in for a while. So how long was he in the NICU? So we uh, left one day before our six months total. So it, months. It, it was crazy, Susie. We, well, I went on bed rest in January and I had him in April and we left in October. That is, you're spanning all the seasons. This baby has spent yes. first. I mean, you're celebrating the half birthday um, and he's fresh out of the hospital. Wow. That is a wild, wild journey. May I ask, so you've got a child in the NICU, probably your network, your friends, family, um, you know, they, they know that you've got a NICU child. What assumptions do people make about a NICU parent? Um, you know, I think, um, one of the hardest things, and I can only speak for me personally, mm-hmm. um, one of the hardest things I think was the narrative around, uh, the Nikki moms and, you know, Hey, you're just, you're a super mom right now. You are, you're a Nikki warrior, you know, all these like really tough phrases. And for me, it, it almost had a reverse effect. Um, it, it made me feel like I couldn't be like I couldn't have the emotions that I had. And, and, you know, I don't, I, this is all 2020. It's just, just me looking back because at the time in a way it did spur me on to be stronger than I thought I could and to be tougher than I thought I could. Um, but I think that that's one of the misconceptions is that we're just so strong that we're just so on it and we're infallible and that none of those things are true. We're just doing what any other mom would do in that situation we're literally just putting one foot in front of the other. And some of those statements kind of, um, it makes you feel like, wow, well, I can't show them that I'm weak because everyone thinks I'm so strong. So I think that was one of my biggest, like, wow, yeah. you want to be careful and, and give that mom space to say, yeah, no, like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
And and you're you're right. When we're creating an expectation for someone else, then it's not a safe space for them to open up and connect like they need to. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always room for both of those, you know, conversations, I think, or at least make room for it. Right, right. Tell me a little bit now. So, um, wow, that you're that is a deep dive <laughs> on how you became a NICU mom. And of course you spent your first six months in a lot of lows, like you said, before yeah. Barrett was able to come home at six months. What does life look like today? Well, I, you may have heard him running through here, um, but life today is noisy, <laughs> and which is great um, because one of the things he suffered with in the NICU was he had heart surgery and it affected one of his vocal cords. So, you know, he really wasn't making sounds for a while. Um, but today, after lots of therapy, um, he is expressing himself. He has a large vocabulary and he's in pre-K um, with a bunch of other three-year-olds. So That is so wonderful. And I know that the other NICU moms that are listening to this know what a just celebratory moment it is when your child can be doing the things that his peers are doing, the same age group is doing. That is wonderful. Congratulations. Oh, I love that. I want to spend this next part talking to you a little bit about how that time in the NICU and your experience with Barrett has um, changed your life to what you're doing with Knits for NICU. Can you tell me a little bit about Knits for NICUs and just what you're doing there, how you've taken the experience to reach other who might, other people who might be going through this? Yeah. Um... Well, honestly, um, I started knitting just to have space for myself, to just um, have a quiet time to do nothing that really had to do with Barrett to sound, and that might sound a little cold, but I needed a little other things in my life. And I sat down and I started knitting and it really reminded me of my mom. You know, my mom has, well, she crochets and there's a big difference, um, but she crochets blankets for all of her grandkids and for all of us. And she prays over those blankets. And it just like dawned on me that there, there are lots of moms out there who are in the NICU without that homey touch, without someone who has gone that extra mile to give them something that is like that you know, from a mom. Mm -hmm. And it was super clear to me that that's something I wanted to do. And it gave me an avenue not to just talk about Barrett's complications, but to talk about, hey, you know, let's talk about blankets. Let's get you cozy. Like, let's talk about something fun and share my story without, you know, maybe always sharing the pain, but sharing hope and, and a little taste of home, which would be a blanket in my opinion. <laughs> I love this. And the day that we met up at Starbucks, you brought some of these blankets and they were intended for Cape Fear Valley, where my triplets actually spent the first two months of their lives, um, which is such a wonderful gift that you're giving back to the NICU community in general. I have a huge heart for Cape Fear. You know, obviously I love Duke and they went above and beyond for us. Um, but you know, here locally, uh, Cape Fear really needs blankets and it really tugged at my heartstrings when I first donated a bunch of blankets, they said, wow, we don't have anyone doing this. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, there's just no way 
And it was just such a confirmation for me that, yeah, you need to do this. Your blankets are needed. And um, so I just didn't stop, you know. So can you explain to me, so you sell blankets and like knit goods on Etsy. And then you also, so from that part of your business, you then donate to NICUs in need like Cape Fear. Absolutely. And sometimes we do them on an individual basis as well. If there's a need that comes to me that I can, I can do personally, then I will. Um, you know, sometimes I take them up to UNC or send them back to Colorado or wherever. Um, but for the most part, every blanket that's purchased through Etsy, um, I donate a blanket. And so it's a one for one ratio. And I'm donating those blankets no matter what. But if I get those extra purchases, it allows me to donate even more. And I, and I love that. It's such a joy. This podcast, of course, you know, it's Run Lift Mom. So I've got a lot of fitness-minded moms. And I know you're, you've got an active lifestyle. And of course, being a NICU mom, um, we have that commonality just with the mom part. The entrepreneurs I've had on this show, though, have that in common with you, just that they're passionate about it, lights their fire, and that they're giving back. You've gone as far, though, to say one-to-one program. That is amazing. Yeah, well, um, you know, it's just important that I stay, um, that every single person who buys a blanket has that uh, connection, that another mom has a blanket, too. And I want them to make that connection, that heart connection. Um, that's really important to me. Um, and, you know, I, um, I wanted to touch on the fitness thing because I do believe fitness changed my world as well. And I love listening to your podcast and listening about, you know, that repetition is so important. And I just wanted to say that that also, for me, um, I, I bike at home and that really helped me as well. Just going through the emotions of the NICU, but physically as well, is very challenging. So yeah, working out really works. <laughs> yes. I think I know every listener is like fist pumping in there and they're like, yeah, they may not have had a child in the NICU, but we all go through challenges where we need an outlet like knitting yeah. or like fitness, something positive and healthy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm going to put um, the link to your Etsy shop and just where people can find you, of course, in the show notes. Um, so you guys can find all of the great work that Kate is doing on Instagram and then take a look at her Etsy shop. Uh, but I can't let you off the hook without doing some rapid fire here. Um, okay. Kate, so I'd love to know, you mentioned fitness, you mentioned doing hard things <laughs> on purpose. Tell, let's talk a little bit about self-talk. So yes. what does your self-talk sound like when you feel tired? What do you say to yourself? Oh, my negative self-talk when I'm tired is, you know, it, it's not worth it. <laughs> Give it up. Don't do it, you know. But then, obviously, uh, my positive self-talk would be, okay, take a deep breath, one step at a time, because I think bringing it down like that really helps, you know, helps you get remotivated. I'm glad you mentioned this. You know, we've talked about self-talk on this show before, but nobody's ever brought up hey, I, I've got a bad self talking and I've got a good self talking to me. And it's really important to listen to that good self. Both are going to be talking. You can drown one of them out. I really, really like that. I love it. Yeah. And I'm assuming self-talk sounds when things don't go your way. Uh, it's probably a very similar thing, huh? 
Absolutely. Yeah. It's a, it's the same thing. My motivation goes away. I feel like, you know, I feel like us moms, we take on way more than we can do anyways. Mm-hmm. And then by the time we're tired, we're too tired. And so that self-talk is like, what is everyone else doing? Why am I doing what everyone else is doing? You know? And so Absolutely. my self-talk goes hands in the air, you know, I'm done. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take you through a couple of just unrelated rapid fire. Um, This, of course, we did not go over in the green room. So folks, I am, um, I'm going to keep it light. um, But this is absolutely putting Kate on the spot. Are you ready? Polka dots or stripes? Polka dots. (laughs) Gelato or ice cream? Ooh, ice cream. (laughs) Ponytail or mom bun? Uh, Ponytail. (laughs) And um, finally, blush pink or hot pink? Blush pink. Got to go with the baby colors. (laughs) Absolutely. Yes, you do. Kate, I'm going to put all of your information below. I want to thank you very much for coming and sharing a story that I know isn't incredibly easy for you to tell, but you're changing lives with it and also contributing to the NICU world at large a blanket at a time. Well, that's the goal. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a blessing. Awesome. Fact, that is not an easy conversation to have. When you've been through something that traumatic, it's not the easiest thing to recall. And Kate, I appreciate you telling us about your pregnancy with Barrett, as well as the entire NICU journey. It is hugely inspiring, and I hope everyone will check out your Etsy shop. It's Knits for NICUs. You guys, I'm going to put it in the show notes. Depending on where you're listening, you're either going to swipe up or click details. I want you to support Kate. I hope that this episode has been a source for you. If you have a NICU mom in your life, it will allow you to empathize and be a better friend. Until I get into your earpiece again, remember, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come. That's from 1 Timothy 4.8, and this has been the Run Lift Mom Podcast. All right, I've got Katie Danger with Red H Nutrition. Katie, we know that good health starts in the gut. Can you tell me a little bit about adaptogenic symbiotic? Yeah, I'm going to reiterate your point, Susie. Health starts in the gut, and that's why the adaptogenic symbiotic is so important. It's complete digestion support. We've got the three most abundant gut flora for the probiotics. So we've got 6 billion CFUs, colony-forming units, We have a prebiotic fiber, which helps feed those probiotics so they can do the job they need to do. And then we also have Invertase included, which helps with any bloating and gas and indigestion you may be experiencing. So so we've got this proactive approach and we've got the reactive approach. So if anybody's experiencing any gas, bloating, or just wants additional digestive support, the adaptogenic probiotic is the all-in-one solution for that. Thank you for listening to the Run Lift Mom podcast. What started as a passion project in February 2019 now has over 60,000 downloads and over 400 listens each day. It is amazing, and I know it is because of you, dear listener. I want to thank you for your ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. 
all you have to do is take a screenshot of your rating or your subscription. If you've already done it, clearly this is fair game. Take a screenshot and go to newreleasewednesday.com. That's newreleasewednesday.com. That's going to put you in a drawing for a free Zaya Active outfit, top and bottom piece, valued at over $100. Newreleasewednesday.com. Show me where you have rated and subscribed, and I'm going to get you in that drawing. Thank you so much for making this passion project possible.